Dear Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for what you've already done this morning, and I know that there is some truth to communicate now in this next few moments, and I pray that you'll help me and that your word, I know you're going to be faithful to your word, and it will speak, and I pray that our hearts will be able to hear it, and just as we were praying before communion, that you would really, truly sweep us away, just blow us away by the truth of your word and that we would not be able to recover from the images that you give us and that that truth would set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, the, the, the story or the thought undignified um, is probably most famous in the Bible from the story of David. And last week, I talked to you about the story of David and Goliath, which is one of the earliest points where we ever see David, this little scrawny kid who's going out to face a giant. And what an incredible moment it is when God delivers him. But the moment that we're going to look at just real quickly at the early part of the, of the teaching right now is a moment later in David's life when now he's a king. Saul is no longer king. David has replaced him. He's sitting on the throne. And there's such a wonderful story in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And I can't tell all of it, though. I was so tempted to, but I'm just going to, I got to go right to the end of the story. But what has happened very briefly at this story is that the ark of God, and you know, that's famous in America because we had movies about it and stuff, but... The Ark of God has been taken from Israel, and it's not, it's not among the Israeli people, and King David wants to bring it back, and so he tries. He goes and gets it, and he tries to carry the Ark of God back into the city limits of there in Jerusalem, and as he does it, he didn't consult God on how to do it, so he does it wrong first, and that's a whole amazing story in and of itself. So he goes back, he figures out how to do it right, and he this time goes back and gets the Ark of God, and he tries again, and... What he did wrong the first time was he set the glory of God, the ark of God, on a cart. And as they're pushing the cart back into Jerusalem, it bobbles and wobbles. And one of the men standing around the ark wanted to try and and help the ark of God not fall down onto the ground, the glory of God not to fall down onto the ground. So he did what he thought was a noble thing. And he reached out his unholy hand to secure the glory of God and push it back up. And God's anger burned against that man. His name was Uzzah, and he killed him right there. Your unholiness can't touch my holiness, no matter how well-intentioned you are. And David was very upset. He said, David burned with anger. He was so mad. So he had to go back and figure it out. Long story short, what he figured out is that God's glory didn't want to rest on a cart. God's glory wanted to rest on the backs of men. And so he had to go back and get the Levites, the priests, the leaders, and it was their job to put the glory of God on their back and carry it. It's supposed to rest on our backs. And they're supposed to carry it into Israel. So they're carrying it back. And David is so careful this time to do it right that he would only let them take six steps. And then he made them stop. And he sacrificed um, an animal to the Lord and worshiped and praised him. And they'd pick it back up and carry it six more steps. And he'd sacrifice. And that's how he went back into Israel. It was an ordeal. It was a bloody day. It was long and it was exhausting. And yet it was glorious because the glory of God was coming back to God's people. And David was so excited about it. And I love David because he seems to be an excitable kind of person. And I am that way as well. And he, he's getting so excited that he can't contain himself. And as it gets to the gates of the city, and they've done it, and the glory of God is about to re-enter, he gets so excited, he strips off all of his kingly garments. And he was, then he started to wear the, the ephod, the clothing of a priest. And, and when he was carrying it in, and he gets down into the city, and he's t- taking off his kingly garments, and he dances like a fool 
all the way into the city, um, uh, into where the um, tent that was prepared for the Ark of God. So the Ark of God's coming on the backs of men, and David is just all the way into the city. And the children were like, wow. And, and some people, I bet, kind of joined in. Because it's kind of exciting to see the king dance like a wild man. And, and it was so awesome. And then the king was so excited. He was so happy that the glory of God had come back to the city. He gave everybody gifts. Everybody in all the town. He gave them all gifts and said, go home. Well, there's one person who wasn't so happy about it. And that's where we're going to start today. Second Samuel uh, chapter 6 is this. It was his wife, Michael. Isn't it always the wife? And in verse 20, it says this, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Well, she is all that. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. And sad to say, I think my journey of undignity began very much like Michael. I remember very well the very first moment I was ever in a worship service when I saw somebody raising their hands. I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I just remember that they were lost in worship and I was sitting beneath them just going like this the whole time. And I didn't have any idea what they were singing about. Jesus wasn't talking to me because all I was doing was focusing on that person. And I was like, what are they reaching for? What are they seeing? What are they doing? I don't understand it. It was an anomaly to me. It was, it was strange. It was like Michael. I was like, I don't get what you're doing. I don't, I don't have the understanding in my mind to want to do that. It doesn't make sense to me. And it felt very strange. But my journey with the Lord continued. And I remember very, very well the very first time in a worship service that I ever wanted to lift my hands. And I've never felt my arms so heavy in my whole life. Because I kind of had that urge I had just walked with Jesus enough that he was really making me happy on the inside. I was about 19 at this point, and I wanted to kind of express my worship to him in, in kind of an expressive way, more than just a singing way, which was a little more acceptable. I kind of wanted to take another step, and I felt my arms weighed 400 pounds, and all I could do in that whole worship service was flip my hands up like this. And they were sitting on an armrest. I was sitting on armrest, and I could go, uh, and close my eyes. And that was all I could do was like, oh, that was so heavy. But it felt like kind of a good step. You know, that was kind of a good offering. And I began to understand when they talked about a sacrifice of praise. I won't give my God something that costs me nothing. I started feeling a little cost to it. I started feeling kind of weird. Because the whole time, the reason my arms were heavy was only because I was like, what's everybody going to think? My, my whole youth group is going to think I'm such a, a weirdo if I, like, do what I'm feeling on the inside on the outside. And so I kind of restrained it. My pride and my dignity held me back. And I, and I flipped my hands up. And I remember not too long after that, the first time that I was absolutely wrecked in worship. And I don't know if you've had an experience where God's truth was so big 
that it barreled all the way past my dignity and my pride, and I was undone. I was, I was actually helping to lead worship, and I was on the stage, and this guy shared this story, and I'm actually going to share the same story later. And, and as he was sharing it, the Lord spoke to my heart in such a powerful and intimate way. I was on my knees crying, could not stop the tears. And I got pulled aside by people afterwards and tell me, you're really trying to make a spectacle of yourself, and you're really trying to draw attention to yourself. And I was like, I was? I wasn't even on the planet Earth anymore. I was just sort of swept away. And my heart and my mind <clears throat> was so broken by the truth that I couldn't respond. I had, to, by just being all proper, I had to fall down and, and cry. And so that was a moment. And then there was another moment not long um, after that where I had gotten to the point where I was kind of losing it, not losing it, losing it, but really enjoying worship. And, 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 um, I, and I'm a very expressive person anyway, so it felt kind of weird to not be expressive when it came to worship. And so it just kind of was flowing out. And I remember one time when I was in a very, very formal setting, it was a, a church that wasn't terribly expressive physically in their worship, and they were singing of all songs. They were standing on the stage and singing, I, I'm desperate for you, my God. Well, it just so happened they were singing that song right at a time when our family, Shannon and I and our children, were going through a very hard time, and I felt every word of those, that song. And I remember sitting there, feeling now like I had weights on my arms, but they weren't from me. It was the pressure around me. And I was sitting there, and I remember the tears pouring down my cheeks, and I cried out to God from some deep place in my heart, and I said, God, I can't sing this song sitting down. I am desperate for you. And I stood up, and I asked the Lord's permission. It's like, I know it. I know I'm going to be a spectacle again, but I can't help it. I can't sing this song like that. So I stood up, and I put my hands up in the air, and I sang, I am desperate for you, my God, and I am lost without you, my God. And so it's interesting when you sing words like that, and you sing them kind of like, I could take it or leave it my God, cause I'm just here cause I have to be my God. And it felt like a lie to me and I couldn't sing that song without expressing it more. So I've done a whole lot of thinking about dignity and undignity and um, I've thought, you know, is this just a personality thing? Is it just cause I'm weird? that I've been on this journey where I feel like I've got to be more expressive? Is it just a denomination thing? Is there just undignified churches and dignified churches? Is that, is that the way that it works? I, I, I think that it might, you know, I thought, well, is it just a preference? Is it just a preference thing? This is just the way I prefer to worship God. And I started studying and praying and watching and walking in my life, and I have to say, I don't think so. I really don't think so. I think it's a kingdom of God culture thing. And I want to tell you what I mean by that. And then what I want to do first is just define the word dignity. The word dignity out of my little dictionary at home on my shelf said this. The quality or condition of being esteemed or honored. The respect and honor associated with an important position. That's what dignity means. Dignified. And that's why we call important people dignitaries. 
because they're respectable and honored and high up. And then I started thinking <coughs> how if that's true, that that's what dignity means, a position of honor, dignified is a position of honor and receiving honor and acting honorable, then I thought, well, that changes from culture to culture to culture all over the world. There's different ideas of what dignity looks like. People behave in different ways. And then I started thinking about the Queen of England. And I remembered how she's all dignified. She wears all these crowns and jewels and they all mean something and they're all worth a billion dollars. And she stands in a certain way and there's kind of a code of behavior that goes with her being dignified. And when I remember them talking about how weird it was when Princess Diana died and, and she went by in the coffin and, and, the, and the Queen like bowed her head. And I remember the commentators going, oh, the Queen never bows her head. She's dignified. She never bows to anybody. That, that, well, that was a, uh, she stepped away from that code of behavior. And then I started thinking about how when Shannon went to Thailand, there was a code of behavior for dignity in that, in that culture. And when you greeted somebody, if they were beneath you, you, you put your hands down here and you bowed. And if they were your, right, your peer, you put your hands here and you bowed. But if they were somebody that was dignified and honored, you put your hands up here bow and there was this code this little cultural understanding of when you get with somebody dignified this is the way you behave and I started thinking about how in America our president's kind of like our king and and I guess our dignified clothes are blue suit and a red tie and and they get all dressed up and when he walks into a room they play hell to the chief and everybody stands up and it's kind of our little code of behavior and that's how you respond well then I started thinking about well well that's interesting how in different cultures you have different things like different things they wear. Like that wouldn't be terribly dignified in our culture. That would probably be a little strange or different. But in that culture, that means dignity. That means honor and, and all the different trappings and all the different things that they wear. So it, it, it's something that can, be, that can change from culture to culture. There is not one singular understanding of this is dignified. If you're in America, it's one way. If you're in another part of the world, it's a whole other way. So what is the definition of undignified or dignified for a Christian. And this is where I got so excited. <clears throat> I want to take you to Revelation. And I want to read to you for a little bit what's going on in heaven. And before I do, I just want to say this. You know that... Um, Jesus said there was a certain thing we were supposed to pray. When the disciples came to him and they said, Jesus, teach us how we should pray, he said, this is how you should pray. And he gave him seven things to pray. One of those things is pray this, that your kingdom will come and that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray, my disciples, pray that heaven will come to earth. Pray that the stuff that's going on in heaven right now will start getting on down here on earth. Pray that people will start on, on earth will start acting like they're acting right now in heaven. And so if that's true, then I want to show you what what's going on in heaven. In uh, Revelations chapter 4, it says this. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had um, first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, and someone was sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Now listen to this. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne 
came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These were the seven spirits of God. And it goes on. I want to jump down to verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, this is what happens. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Let's go on. Then I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice. Listen to this scene. This is the scene that undid me. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept. And I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside it. And right when I heard this story, when I was about 19 or 20, my dad had just died. And I was very aware that my dad was in heaven. And I remember I was still mourning his death and my dad was a holy man. My dad walked with Jesus. And I remember hearing this story and I was, had that ridiculous little kid feeling like, well, my dad's there. He'll probably be all right. He could probably go open those scrolls. God will probably let him. And then when it got to the part where John said he wept and he wept because there was no one worthy to open the scroll, not Mother Teresa, not Billy Graham when he gets there, not any of the other favorite missionaries or any heroes of the faith, not Peter, not Paul, not John, not nobody, nobody was worthy to open the scroll. And John wept. Then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and it's seven seals. This is interesting to me. The elder calls the root of Jesse at this point. He calls him, look. He says, look, see the lion. But when John looks up, he says, then I saw a lamb. Looking as if it had been slain. Standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and he took the scroll and he opened it. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lord again. Those poor guys were never off their face. They'd get back up on their throne only to fall right back down. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Oh, goodness. It's so good. And then one other glimpse that I want to show you about what's going on in heaven. In Revelations chapter 7, so we've looked at elders, we've seen the lamb, we're getting this kind of fall down thing going on. And then in chapter 7 it says this, After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice. I love those descriptive words. They didn't say it and they said. It said they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. 
and unto the Lamb who sits upon the throne. And they start singing that out. They start crying it out. And then it says this, All the angels that were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell down on their faces before the living God. I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. We sing that song, don't we? And we sing it very standing up-ish. And they were singing, Praise and glory, wisdom and thanks, honor and power and praise. Be to our God forever and ever. Be to our God forever and ever. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And I think that if we got a little glimpse of what's going on in heaven. I mean, if we could, if we could just right now climb a little ladder and just open a hatch door and peek our little nose and eyes up and look around, I think it would look a lot different than it does down here. I think there'd be a lot of stuff going on up there and I think just one glimpse, you know that song that people's real popular, I can only imagine what it will be like. You know, will I dance? Will I sing? Will I hit my face? I don't know what I'll do, but I promise you this, you're not going to go, well... What about that? Isn't that something? Thank you. That really blessed me. That won't happen. I can promise you that. There will be overt reactions in heaven. You'll do something. I don't know what it is, but you're going to do something. And so my question for us in in undignity and what it means and what our response is supposed to be this is I think it's this. I think in the kingdom of the culture kingdom of God, the culture of the kingdom of God, there's only one person who gets to be dignified. There's only one who's worthy of getting a crown on his head and standing all upright and getting everybody all bowing down to him. There's only one, and his name is Jesus Christ. And the rest of us get to get on our faces and our knees and anything else that seems appropriate at the moment because he is the only one who is worthy. So I think King David was so right because what is Jesus' name? King of kings. So you know Jesus has showed up when earthly kings start stripping off their dignity and dancing naked. David was right That crown had to rot on his head when he was seeing the glory of God come back into Israel. He had to get it off. It doesn't belong to me. Jesus only gave it to me so he could use me to govern people. But it's his. This belongs to him. And the 24 elders, when they see, when Jesus, when the lamb comes, they get quick off their thrones. Quick off their throne. I can't get low enough. And my crown comes off my head and I throw it down at his feet because he's the only one worthy of it. And all the rest of us are supposed to be dancing fools. That is the culture of the kingdom of God. Now, if that weren't enough, if elders falling down and kingly, um, earthly kings stripping off their, their throne, uh, their 
um, their garments and angels falling on their faces and saints in heaven shouting and crying out, holy, 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 glory to the lamb. He's the only one that's worthy. If all that weren't enough, now let me just blow you away. And this really, I, I got to tell you, this was an encounter for me with the Lord this week because I thought I had my talk all done. And then like two days ago, I woke up and there was more. And I felt like Lord was just kind of guiding me and listening to me, asking me to look at these passages. John 13, 3 through 5. This is the last night Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, ever walked among us. The last night he could ever paint a picture. The last thing a dead man, a dying man wanted to say to the people he loved the most. His final Words, his final action was this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. And so he got up and demanded everybody to fall out their, out their faces and to worship him. That isn't what it says. He knew he had come from God. He knew that the whole world was under his power and he knew he was fixing to go back to God. And so he got up and he said, everybody fall down and worship me. Because that's what he, right? That's what he, that's what I think he should say. But he didn't say that. It says, so he got up, he wrapped a towel around his waist. Oh, he took off his garments first. He took off all of his outer garments and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, got down on his knees and he picked up dirty feet of earth and he washed them and he scrubbed them. One by one, even Judas who betrayed him, he washed his feet right before he used those feet to walk out into the streets to sell him. And at the end of doing that, he says this in verse 12. I can just see him. I can just see him sitting back up and kind of putting his clothes back on and and, and all, the, all the disciples looking at him like a deer in headlights. And him saying, all right, guys, you call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent it, him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And as if that weren't enough, Philippians 2, 6 through 11, and I want to close with this, says this. Your attitude, Highland Christian Church, Sherry McCready, should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. And it's at the name of Jesus that every knee should bow and in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
And so I guess my question is for Highland Christian Church, what is your response to the truth that you have seen? Because you can hold that crown on your head, but I think the right response is to take it off. Take off your dignity as fast as you can and cast it down before the only one who is worthy to wear it. And I want to warn you, don't be stiff-necked. God would often use that phrase when he was talking with um, Moses about Israel in the Old Testament. He would say they're stiff-necked and rebellious. And boy, can you understand after we've talked about what we've talked about, what stiff-necked means? I will not bow. I will not bow. I won't do it. It's my crown. It's my pride. It's my flesh. It's my life. I won't bow. My neck is stiff. Or a heart that is soft. It says, I don't get why you want me, but you're so worthy, and I lay it all down. So we're going to close with a couple songs that are very important words. And I do ask you, as your sister, for those of you all who are Christ followers, I'm your sister in Christ. And I ask you to be honest in this next song. I ask you to, to say the words only if they are true words from your heart. And if they are, then to speak them well. And to speak them in all their fullness. And to begin that let's pray that we can become a church that is very honest in our worship to the Lord. And we don't lie. We don't come in and sing things that we don't want to, that we're not trying to live. And sure, absolutely, God's grace covers all of us. Every one of us had a week walking in that door today. I'm not asking for perfection. I'm just saying honest, honest. God, I do mean it. I do mean I want you to be Lord and King. And I'm so, I don't want to be all prideful and all about me. And I want to be able to express outwardly, like they do in heaven, what I feel on the inside. And my final warning is this. What would it be like if I came home to see my children and I said, hello, children. It's nice to see you. I, I hope that you had a really good day. I really, I really missed you. And there was nothing on the outside that said about what I really feel on the inside. I just want you to know I love you so much that my heart was, you know, aching throughout the whole entire day today. I could hardly wait to come back home and see you. But isn't that truly, honestly, what we do a lot of times to Jesus? We say these great big giant words with a heart and a mind and a face. And I think David was challenging us in the Psalms. I will worship the Lord with all my might, all my strength, all my soul. And isn't that the greatest commandment? What does God want from us more than anything? To love him with all, all your might. Have you ever worshiped him so hard you're exhausted? Because you gave him all, there was nothing left. I was sitting down by Eliza a minute ago doing that after that little ribbon thing and she goes, mommy, you're sweaty. <laughs> I said, I am. I am. And that's good. I like to sweat at church. Jesus, have your way with us. Please, God, help us just to get little, really, really little and humble and small because you're so big. Help us to lower our heads. Jesus, please save us from being stiff-necked and prideful. Help us to become like King David and we strip off all the dignity of this earth and we dance like fools at your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.